everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 159 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. Today, we're going to talk beating people who are better than you, which seems impossible because if you can beat them, then you're better than them, right? Uh, yeah, there's something interesting in Jiu-Jitsu, and we don't talk about it often, uh, but we like to pretend that whoever has the best technique wins the match we love that that is um that is kind of the the pinnacle of of jujitsu is, is oh wh whoever has better technique wins i i read that on the wall at my gym right that the better technique wins and the truth is that's not always true actually a lot of the time uh that's not true at all there are a lot of other things that you have to have that aren't just technique. And so that is how we're gonna break down today's episode. We're gonna look at uh, what are kind of the parts of a jujitsu round or a jujitsu match uh, that aren't just technique. We're also going to look at how important technique is for all these things. And uh, I think that's a mistake that I made a little more mid in the podcast, sometime in like the 50 to 70 episode range when I was kind of wrestling with the idea of of concept versus jujitsu or versus technique talked about it a lot okay there's concepts and there's techniques and we need to know the difference right uh but instead of saying technique versus concept uh, i think now i say technique and concept because they are both very important among a few other things and we're going to talk about all those things today uh and yeah, that's what I have for you in today's episode. I think you guys are really going to like this one. And hopefully for a lot of people, it is going to simplify the way that you see jujitsu or the way you think about uh, jujitsu in a specific round. And if you guys could do me a huge favor, I know that this episode uh, is going to be enjoyed. There are just certain types of episodes that we do that our listeners seem to like more than others. And so I know this is going to be enjoyed. This is going to be listened to. So if you guys are enjoying this content and you got something out of it, do me a favor, send it to one person. You don't have to send it to your, post it on your Facebook group or anything like that. Just send it to one person that you think it would find helpful, especially one person at your school that maybe is just struggling to get better. If you painted a picture of the main listener of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show for the statistics that I get, it's generally going to be someone between like 30 and 50 years old, and they're struggling to get better as fast as everybody else in their gym. And uh, so if you enjoy this episode, if you get something out of it, share it with somebody in that age range that is struggling to get better, uh, then is, is not getting better as, as quickly as everyone else uh, and see if this could help them. And so, uh, yeah, that's all I have for you. Let's jump into today's episode. So here are the things that you need to understand in order to beat someone better than you. And when I say better than you, what I mean is because most of us look at grappling, most of us look at jujitsu and we say, okay, whoever has the best technique is better. And so we're going to use that as our measuring stick of who's better. Can you beat somebody who has better technique than you? And in my opinion, 
absolutely you can. And I think we see it happen a lot in jujitsu tournaments. There are guys that if you watch the first few minutes of the round, their technique looks more crisp. It looks more, uh, it, it's smoother. It's just better than the other person's, but they may not win that match. Uh, and it's because of all these other things that go into it. So I thought a good place to start is just defining what a technique even is. Uh, so how I was always explain this to my students is a technique is a specific response to a specific situation. What that means, if I am in De La Hiva and I get an underhook and go for my knee cut, that's a technique. My t my my uh my knee cut is this uh repeatable thing I could teach you and I could say, hey, if you are ever in De La Hiva in this specific situation and he has these grips, you can use this technique too. You can use this knee cut and uh, you know, obviously I was able to pass with it. Maybe you will be able to also. Uh, now here's a tough thing when it comes to technique. It very much depends on when we're learning in technique, how good of a teacher I am. It very much depends on how well I can explain what is actually happening. And a lot of the time, when we're grappling, especially if you ask like good black belts, you ask them, hey, are you thinking about all the steps that you teach us uh, when you do a technique? Like, are you thinking about, okay, right hand here, left hand here, and then start the knee cut? No, black belts aren't thinking that way. Most of the time, the technique is just kind of been drilled into their memory. And we'll talk about how to do that in a little bit. Um, but the technique's been drilled into their memory. And what's going to start to happen is they're going to say, okay, well, my knee goes from here to here. And maybe they'll even say, this is the most important step. And if he's not a good teacher and he doesn't understand, maybe it's it's not the most important step. Now you are going through your entire jujitsu career looking at this idea that, hey, Josh taught me this you know, five years ago. So it's truth. I have to get this technique to work this way. Josh says it, or, you know, Gordon says it. Gordon says that this is how the technique works. Are you Gordon? Are you six foot two and 230 pounds? Maybe the technique is going to work slightly different. And unless we understand the next thing that we're going to talk about, uh, there will be no way for you to problem solve. There will be no way for you to go back to the drawing board besides just going back to the same instructional that you just watched and say, okay, well, oh, this is what I wasn't doing. I wasn't putting my hand here. And then you go back to daily Hiva and you try that one technique. And guess what? Now you are good, at least understanding wise, it passing an incredibly specific situation, an incredibly specific guard. And with one grip change, most likely your technique goes out the window. If you learned the way that most of us learn technique and the, and the way that most of jujitsu is taught still to this day. Now there's a saving grace here. There's something else that will help your techniques. Not there's some better way that we should be teaching. Um, I don't think like that. I don't think it's, you should either have concept, which we're about to talk about, or technique. I think that uh, marrying the two is going to be very important. I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. So 
We're starting with just understanding what a technique is. Now we'll look at what a concept is. So a concept is just an idea. It's a way of thinking about um, multiple situations. So that knee cut that we just talked about was from Daily Heva, where you're holding onto my ankle and maybe you have my collar, right? Those are the specific grips that this guard pass works. Now, there are a few things that are happening with this guard pass that we could highlight as concepts. And what that means is I would highlight it as a concept. And then we could show how that concept applies to all kinds of other different passing situations or all kinds of other different situations. And what that can help you do is it can help you start to learn jujitsu more efficiently. It can help you start to kind of generalize what you are thinking about while you're grappling. So something that I find that works better than maybe anything I've ever tried before when it comes to teaching is being able to relate it to something that the person already knows. Um, there is a really good video by the YouTube channel. It's less impressed, more involved. And um, they do all these different jujitsu breakdowns. One of their earlier videos was about this habit that um, Elon Musk says is like way better for learning. And that is relating what you're learning to something that you know. Um, I'll link that video in the description of this episode because I think it's really good to have separate and I think he does a perfect job explaining it, so I'm not going to get into that. Um, but let's take that same De La Hiva knee cut, uh, for instance. Let's talk about the chest over chest idea. We've talked about this on the show before. And, uh, you know, uh, John Thomas has some really good chest over chest videos. If you guys uh, have more, want more information on what that actually is or that concept or idea actually is. And so what this is saying is that there is a certain position where your chest is over your opponent's chest. Um, it doesn't mean they have to be touching. It doesn't mean you have to be inside control, just your chest over theirs, even if there's space between them. And what that does is it pushes both of your shoulders up, or both of your opponent's shoulders into the mat. And when your opponent's shoulders are into the mat and you're trying to pass their guard, they are flat. And we actually talked about this on the episode uh, just a few weeks ago. I think it was episode like 156 or 57. We talked about this idea of side control. And we said, if you can, if you're in bottom side control and you are on your side, you are no longer in bottom side control. You will feel that it's very easy to escape. If you're in bottom side control and you are flat, it is incredibly hard to escape. Really, there aren't escapes until you get on your side. And so thinking in these terms of chest over chest, if I'm passing your guard, whether with a knee cut, whether with a Toriando pass, whether with whatever type of pass that I want to, if I go chest over chest, it starts to stack your shoulders, both of them flat on the mat. And now all I have to do is get around your legs or for our knee cut, get through your legs. And so now I can say, okay, you've never seen a knee cut before. And so it's going to be hard for you to even learn this new position. Well, guess what? Here is chest over chest. What guard pass do you like? And maybe you say, I like the Toriando pass. And I go, cool. Well, here is how chest over chest relates to Toriando. Now here is how chest over chest relates to the knee cut. And so even though you're learning a brand new technique that has all these different grip fights and all these different ideas, there is one big concept 
that remains the same. And not only that, but if I'm trying to knee cut and I'm trying to get chest over chest and that knee cut isn't there, well, since I'm trying to get chest over chest for my other guard passes, I'm still accomplishing this big goal or this big idea for my, this big concept, right? And um, that is how I, I hope that that helps people understand what a concept is, right? It's this idea that can help you learn jujitsu. That is the reason that we would teach in concepts. I think there's this disconnect. A lot of people want to teach in concepts to seem smart. That is like, you get that a lot. And I think that's why concepts have like a bad rap is because most people will say, yes, this is this genius concept. You should always grab the lapel. And you're like, no, that's not a concept. It really is. And it's not genius at least. Um, yes, you could grab the lapel, but why does that matter? If you can explain to me, you know, okay, well, grabbing the lapel controls the trap, controlling the trap keeps people from being able to scoot north or south right? If you can explain it to me that simply and make me understand it like that, and I can go, okay, well, a lot of times them scooting away is important. So if I can control their trap with their lapel, they stop being able to scoot away. It makes jujitsu much simpler for me and it gives me accomplishable tasks. Okay. So now that we have some accomplish accomplishable tasks, for instance, bottom side control, your task is to get on your side. If you can accomplish this, you will escape side control almost every time. The better that you get at that specific fight, the better you get at bottom side control escapes. So how I like to think instead of here are a bunch of techniques that will get me on my side to, to escape side control, or um, you know, obviously the concept is to get on our side. I like to think in the terms of skills. And this isn't something that I think is talked about in jujitsu ever, right? The concept and the technique idea, those really uh, are being talked about a lot more. And I think it's being helpful for a, a lot of people to learn jujitsu faster than I got the chance to, or faster than um, a lot of us got the chance to. But when we think in terms of skills, it's very helpful because it keeps us from saying, okay, I just lost because I don't know more technique, right? Most of the time, that's what our thinking is. I wanted to get on my side and my coach is really good and he kept me flat the entire time. My technique isn't there. Well, these are why I like to, why I like to use the term skill. You knew the technique. You were trying to do the technique to get on your side. It's just your coach's ability to keep you flat is very, very good. And that skill, yes, it is a combination of your techniques that you know, but it's also a combination of like how efficiently you are trying to accomplish that task. One of the easiest ways to do that is to know the task. When you're on top in a pinned position to know, hey, I want both, all four of the big joints flat on the ground, both hips or both butt cheeks and both shoulders. I want the four main joints flat on the ground because this dude on a podcast told me that it's harder to escape uh, for the bottom person or almost impossible to escape for the bottom person while those things are happening. So instead of focusing on my coach said underhook, my coach said hug here, my coach said grab here, my coach just keeps me flat when he's on top of me. Sometimes he doesn't even need an underhook to keep me flat. That's just because he's great at the skill, right? And then he's able to even not 
use an underhook to keep you flat because he is so good at that skill. Something else we've talked about a lot before on the show is like the skill of taking steps from somebody's guard, um, like towards it and around it. That is a skill. You watch Hoffa Mendez, you watch Gordon Ryan. They are better at that than the next tier of guy, of grappler below them. If you watch, they take a ton of steps. They take steps that seem to uh, almost predict the future a little bit. That is a skill. It's not a specific technique. If you had these guys break down every step that they take as its own quote unquote technique, what's going to happen is you're going to have a thousand moves that there's no way you're going to be able to uh, proficiently use unless you have a general idea. Um, and I think we could reference all kinds of different concepts and, and stuff throughout this whole episode. Uh, but uh, we've talked about these things before. This was kind of just to to get you guys in on this ep- or on the episode to understand that we are not just wind grappling fighting techniques. We have techniques, we have concepts, we have skills. And these are the three, in my opinion, main tools in a grappler's arsenal. Now we need to talk about something else. We have these three tools, but how we use them when we use them matters so much more in a jujitsu round than we think of. Okay. So now we're going to talk about pace or tempo. And I think of these as two different things and we'll explain them. Um, but pace is really the amount of techniques used in a period of time. Okay. So that means if I go, or it, I wouldn't, shouldn't even say used, I say attempted in a period of time. Uh, so Again, one of the most popular episodes on the show is the episode about blitzing. And um, I'm not going to talk about that very much in this episode because I have a a future one planned for you guys that is better than blitzing. Um, it's just going to be, uh, it's just going to help you understand it. I think more broadly. And so uh, I don't want to dig too much into that right now. So we'll just kind of talk about uh, pace and tempo. So pace is the amount of techniques attempted in a specific period of time. So let's say I have a 10 minute match. If I think of my 10 minute match just as a whole, as the pace changes, a lot of times mentally it will get away from me. Because this happens to me. Sometimes I go out to compete and I'm thinking um, just too broad. We're going to talk about thinking broadly and painting the whole picture at the very end. But uh, sometimes you just think a little too broadly and you say, I'm just, you know, I'm just fighting. I'm just fighting. I'm just fighting. And you get super, super focused in each little individual fight. And you're not thinking about the pace. You're not thinking that, hey, this fight that I'm in right this second, it doesn't matter. It's not going to get me scored on. It's not going to, if I win it, I don't score. You know, I'm in a fight that doesn't matter. Maybe I should leave. Maybe I should stop fighting this, right? Most of the time, once we start grappling, the pace is kind of like, for most of us, um, is kind of like a, a projection chart when you're trying to sell somebody, right? It starts in the bottom left corner and then it ends at the top right, right? And that is our pace. We just keep going harder and keep going harder. And we say, this is how we will win. Now, here's the problem. When you are pacing, you have to keep in your physicality in mind, okay? So uh, 
when I am pacing, if I am obnoxiously stronger than the person I'm grappling, I know that my pace can really, really stay consistent because even if they go hard, it only takes what 70% of my strength to stop them. And so I can keep going at how I think about paces is in percentages. I can keep going at like my 60% pace, which is, um, you know, it seems like I'm never stopping moving because I'm always fighting the next fight. I'm fighting for the next grip. I'm fighting for the next distance that I want to be at. Uh, I'm fighting to get around, like always fighting for something, right? But never fighting hard for that thing. If um, I was at 100% pace, I'm doing the same amount of things, but you know, we would call this a blitz on the show. I am now uh, um, using all my physicality. I'm now using everything I have. Uh, to usually accomplish a task during my pace. Maybe my pace uh, for the first three minutes of the match is go hard so I can pass this guy's guard. Maybe that's how we think that I can win this match is by going hard for three minutes and scoring. And then my pace is going to change, right? As I pass the guard, I score three points. I get to a dominant position. Me going with that same 100% intensity, 100% pace gives a lot of opening for me to lose my position, right? Uh, if you are flexed and you're going as hard as you can on something, a lot of times you don't feel things that you should. You miss out on little things. So when you're pacing, you have to think about like up and down. And most people don't think about the down. It's just up. Once I get to a hard pace, I just keep going. For a lot of people sitting in their car, it's probably clicking with them and they're going, oh, I do that. I do. Once it's time to go, then it's time to go. And then for a lot of people, even after that, if you're doing an open mat, you're supposed to do like 10 rounds. If you start too early with somebody who's a tough round for you, you will, even after a warm up, you will be so gassed most likely because your pace did not go up and down. It only ever went up. And so when you're thinking about your pacing, when you're thinking about how many techniques, how many concepts you use, this is a very important part of uh, each round. If I go with one of my white belts and I go with a 110% pace and I am using everything that I have or hundred percent, you can't, can't use 110% but I'm using everything I have and I'm trying to beat this guy down. And then I do my next round with, uh, let's say one of my purple belts. I promise you my hundred percent pace is going to be lower. Even though mentally I'm giving everything I have, my hundred percent pace is going to be lower. I just spent five minutes running a sprint. I'm going to be tired. But if, even if I jumped up to a hundred percent, three different minutes of the round, but the other two minutes I rested. The other two minutes, I said, hey, I earned these positions. Now I'm going to keep them. Now it's your turn to waste energy. You have to waste energy escaping my position and avoiding me submitting you. And so then I'm able to pace this round totally different. I think that uh, you know somebody who's really fun to watch with pacing is Gordon Ryan. It's usually in a specific situation when he is... Um, uh, fighting these like no time limit matches that we really get to see the pacing, but none of us ever really fight no time limit matches. So we don't get to apply these ideas um, that, that he uses, but there's some things about pace that I think are important to know. And one is how should you pace 
if somebody is better than you? Or what are you looking for if somebody is better than you? Because sometimes we can feel it. We can go, oh man, this dude's really good. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, when we do that, usually our mind says we should go as hard as we can. And that's how we'll beat him. We should just go harder, right? Maybe we've been watching too much Dragon Ball Z. I don't think there's such thing, but maybe we have. And we're just like, I'll just go like super duper Sam. And then I'm going to crush this guy. Usually it doesn't work like that. Usually it's like this. If you're trying to beat somebody better than you, usually you're looking for specific things. You're looking for what we would call tie-ups. Um, something I really like. There's, a, a, I guess, reference again. I want to say uh, that that was the YouTube channel I was watching. I think it was the Less Impressed, More Involved YouTube channel. They're talking about anchors, right? Sometimes we call them tie-ups. Um, but there are these positions that you get to, like smashed half guard, where you say, okay, I am cool with everything but taking a step back, everything but being in your open guard again. You can move me around. You can build a frame. I'm cool with those things. I am staying here or I am moving forward, right? And we're always looking for those positions. But then there are also tie-ups. And a tie-up maybe isn't as much of an anchor of like, I need to progress from here. Sometimes it's just, I need to keep my guard closed and then see how you respond to it. I need to keep your posture broken and then see how you respond to it. Because when we are talking about pace, when we are talking um, about how much technique is being used, it doesn't all have to be my technique being used. I was talking to one of my purple belts one day. He wrestled his whole life. And I was kind of explaining the idea of offense and defense in jujitsu and saying, hey, sometimes it's not about me having the best offense. Sometimes it's about me using my one little bit of offense that I have after a lot of defense, right? Or just utilizing my defense well. And he goes, oh yeah, like like coach. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, like, like when you're in high school and you're wrestling, you wrestle with coach, coach doesn't shoot. He goes, coach only counter wrestles. You go anywhere in the country, he goes, coach ain't shooting on you. Coach is counter wrestling. He goes, but you also never take coach down. He just kills you. Yeah, it's because he is playing the right pace. He's not wasting energy like high schoolers do, right? He's not saying, okay, um, to get the carrot, I just need to be more explosive and faster. No, he's saying, okay, uh, to get the carrot, I'm going to let this kid bring the carrot to me. And then when it's close enough, I'm going to grab it, right? You're just thinking about pace a little more defensively. Think about pace is in how much technique, how much, uh, uh, yeah, how much technique is my opponent attempting? If I put you in single leg X and maybe I feel like, man, this guy's super athletic. I can't really move him, but I have some grips that I like that really keep you tied up and I can see on your face. You're not handling those grips. Well, a lot of times I'll just keep those grips. I'll just sit there for a while. I'll say, okay, well, I could just drop my pace to zero right here. His pace is at 50% because he's really working. And you know, eventually he'll probably start to figure it out. If not, he could stay here forever, but he's also wasting energy. Um, my dad always explains it like this. When you're doing jujitsu, it's like you're playing a video game and both guys have a an energy bar um, like in the, in the top corners of the screen. And every time you use your energy, 
you lose a percentage. And he said, you know, for him, he's 60 years old. And he says, for, for me, I start with like 60% energy in this bar just because people are so much more physical, uh, physical than I can be. And he says, so when I'm grappling, all I'm ever thinking is who's using more energy. Cause if he's using more energy, he's wasting his bar. I'm using less energy. I have less to, to begin with. So I need to be smart about how much I use. Eventually we get to this point where my dad's at 50% and I'm at 10% because I, I went too hard. I wasted too much energy and his defense was too good um, or his tie-ups were too good or he held me in an anchor position and I couldn't move him. But he took all of that intensity and he used it at uses it at the right time, right? When I am now tired and he can go or even early on in a match where I think I can exploit something. And that will um, bring us to the last thing. We really didn't talk about um, the tempo. I think of tempo as uh, as something that one of the grapplers can have. Uh, tempo is kind of like my offensive cycle. If I am attacking, um, I have the tempo, right? And I can choose what pace I can use this tempo at, but as soon as I stop attacking and you start to grip, bite me back, you start to attack back. Now you have the tempo and, you know, obviously I have choices on how I need to deal with that, but now let's talk strategy. And, um, this is kind of something that we've talked about on the show before, but I'm really just going to highlight three strategies I use when you're outmatched. And that is going to be how I explain um, strategy. I think strategy really is how well you use these four things, techniques, concepts, skills, pacing, and how well you understand the four things of your opponent, what techniques they have, what concepts, I guess you really can't know what concepts they know, just how effective they are um, in certain positions, how good they are in specific fights. If you notice, okay, uh, I'm great everywhere, but grip fighting from the feet. And my opponent is amazing at grip fighting from the feet. Yes. Obviously he takes everybody down because of that. But the skill there is the fact that he always wins the inside space on the grip fights and I always lose them. That's the situation. I'm not fighting on the feet with that guy, right? He is more skilled in a specific situation. So this is kind of how we're going to, like we said, um, we'll look at what do you do when somebody's better than you? Let's say just a little bit better than you first, okay? And this is, I think, the, the least tricky that you have to be. Hey guys, Josh here. Really quick, just want to interrupt the podcast. Uh, so if you guys have been paying attention like I have, you'll start to notice that the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show is starting to get in like the top three to five rankings on a lot of plot podcast platforms when it comes to jujitsu podcasts. And this is because many of you have been giving us five-star reviews. Keep in mind, like the other podcasts in the top five are way better than the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. But because you guys are really cool and you guys have been lying and giving me five-star reviews, I am starting to get in those rankings too. We're tricking everybody, guys. So let's keep the trick going. And if you haven't done it yet, please give me a five-star review on whatever platform that you're listening. If you if you have done it already, download every freaking platform that the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show is on. 
give me a five-star review there. We're trying to pull the wool over the jiu-jitsu community's eyes and convince them that the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show is way better than it is. So help me do that by giving me a five-star review. Let's get back to the episode. Let's say that you have somebody at your gym that um, always beats you, but just by a little, or beats you 70% of the time. That That's probably the, the best way. And let's see if we can get back those 20% or even more than that, um, just one strategy. And I think one of the simplest strategies to think about is where do you usually beat this person? One of the simplest ideas to start thinking about for your strategy. Where do you usually beat this person? If I am going to grapple somebody who usually beats me, but I can beat them sometimes. A lot of this has to do with, I am just going to, I'm just going to make that fight happen more. Even if I don't, um, let, let's say, for example, that position is your knee shield. You You lose most other positions, but when you get this guy in knee shield, you do really well. Sometimes you even submit him. We can look at this as, okay, well, if you're usually winning from Nishio, what if you just tried to spend as much of the round in Nishield as you could? That doesn't mean that you have to sweep them from Nishield or attack a Kimura really early on. Maybe you can use frustration a little bit. Maybe you can use the fact that it's the one position that you are actually better than this person and say, hey, Jujetsu is a bunch of games, a bunch of individual games. And if you're better than at me than 49 of the games, and I'm better at you than one of the games, one of the 50, I think I just want to play that one game if I'm trying to win, right? If my goal is win. So I'm going to try to, to tie you up into um, into that knee shield, into that position and use frustration. Sometimes frustration adds to them messing with up their pace and getting very tired, working way too hard on a fight that doesn't matter and getting really tired. Right. And that is, I think the first strategy to think about is just, if there's somebody that you actually know and that you actually can beat, just not consistently start to, you know, I know that this is always what I use on the podcast, but start to focus. So often we just go into the round and say, let's just see what happens. And then I'm in the middle of those rounds saying, what techniques can I recall for these specific situations? And to me, it's just not the way to play jujitsu. Maybe I'll play with just a little more concept and I'll say, okay, instead of what techniques to, uh, to go for in this situation, what should I be avoiding? How should I be surviving? Where could I be surviving? And finding what you're really good at or what you're better than them at, and then only doing that. Now we'll look at the concept of uh, effectively blitzing. And like I said, we're just going to talk about blitzing just for a second, but how to effectively use a blitz, how to effectively go 100%. I think that sometimes you can blitz right at the beginning of the match, but, or around, but here's the rule for me on it. It is only when I'm trying to exploit a weakness. There is a purpose for me blitzing early on. 
And it's usually that I think that this guy sucks at um, stopping people passing around his leg, stopping people Torian doing him. And so my mindset will be, okay, first three minutes, I am willing to go 100% in this round. You know, I have like a 10-minute round, okay? So first three minutes, I'm willing to go 100%. I know that I will be tired if I have to go 100% for three minutes, um, but I believe that I will be exposing a hole. Watch again. Watch Gordon the times that he uh, at ADCC he thought to leg lock. He was leg locking because he thought that that was a specific um, hole in the games of the guys that he was attacking, or even he was leg locking them because he didn't want to fight on the feet from with that person. And so he said instead. I will tie him up, tie his legs up. What I can attack his leg. Maybe I will finish it. But even if I don't, I can use this to come up on a much stronger sweep, come up almost in a strong like wrestling single leg or a body lock position, just somewhere that he could uh, be better, right? He avoided, if you watch Andre, you watch uh, Nikki Rod, he avoided a specific fight that they maybe had a better chance of winning. And he just said, well, I just won't do this. I will fight this way, right? I will fight this match. And um, he also blitzed during that time. He went really hard because he was exploiting a hole. Obviously, there's a chance that that game plan fails. If we watch same tournament, if we watch uh, Nicholas Marigali uh, fighting Craig Jones, Craig Jones was confident that he was going to leg lock Marigali in the beginning of that match. You see how hard he was going. He really thought he was going to leg lock him. And then in that match, they, uh, they then fought a, a, a fight with Craig tired and, uh, Craig obviously still won the match, but that initial blitz really gassed him i think you can also reference how he recovered after that if we're blitzing early which was our second strategy you know we are going to try to exploit a hole and we also have an end point after about two or three minutes craig stopped attacking the legs at least as aggressively right um he stopped using 100 percent. he went back down to whatever pace he likes to be in and um you know and just regularly be doing jujitsu his 50 percent is 60 percent. he goes down and um starts recovering now and hopefully he'll get his shot again and then um there is the third pace the third the third strategy that we'll talk about this is one we've talked about on the show before uh but I think it's really important to, to note, this is what I would do if somebody seemed way better than me. If I go into a round, um, whether at a tournament, whether at you know an open mat, but I go, oh gosh, this person is better than me. And this isn't something that happens to me a ton anymore, right? Um, it's probably been a while since I've I've dealt with this situation and tried to use the, this method, um, but I do know this method works. And I really kind of came up with this when I was like 16. Uh, when I was 16, I was pretty small still, and I was a blue belt. And uh, there really weren't a lot of colored belts in the Midwest. Even seeing a blue belt was cool when uh, at that time you would go, man, there's this guy's a blue belt. He must've been training forever. He must be so good. And uh, purple belts and brown belts and black belts were even more rare and uh, even more exciting to see. And so uh, as a kid, I was, I was pretty good, but 
It was just way weaker than everybody I would go with. And so even though um, maybe technically I might be a little better than a guy, this dude's 40 pounds heavier than me. He's just beating me down. And what I started to find out was um, I could attempt a bunch of stuff. And a lot of times that just got me beat up worse, or I could find certain positions that I could get to happen a bunch. Keep in mind when you're 16, generally speaking, you have infinite cardio. You will not get tired. Okay. And I know, obviously I don't have that anymore. Um, but when I was 16, I did, and I was using this big part of my physicality that I had, the one real positive that I had, I was weaker than everybody. I was more flexible than everybody, um, but I was weaker than everybody. I honestly, I felt slower than most of the guys that I would go with. I wasn't a great athlete as a kid. It more had to do with that I could roll forever, mainly because I just went to high school, skipped high school all the time, and I would train forever and I would be able to roll forever. And I would create what I now call time loops, um, which are little fights that maybe even I don't win, but little fights that I can survive without giving up too much energy, giving up too much, um, too many points, giving up too much in the match, right? So I'm going to fight for a little, um, just a little time loop. And then I'm going to look for that over and over and over again. And the reason that you do this is it starts to get the person that you're going with conditioned to say, okay, this is going to be the position that I'm fighting. And they will be trying to win every single time, maybe trying something a little different every single time. Um, but also sometimes we pay attention to the pace. We notice every time we get into this time loop, okay, his pace is at about 80 and mine's at about 40. I'll do this all day, right? Um, I think Andrew Luck said in this uh, this this football video I was watching one time, you can't go broke making a profit. And that's how you think about kind of the energy bar idea, right? That's how you should think is he is working harder than me. Even if that time loop, and this sounds crazy, even if that time loop is bottom side control and it's a sequence of attacks that your opponent is trying to put on you, but you're able to defend one and then the next, and then he goes back to the first and you defend and the next, and you are not using as much energy, then you're winning. I know that sounds bizarre, but in a sense of if this match lasted, if this round lasted forever, you would get tired before I would right? Rounds don't last forever. They're finite. We have to, again, I told, said we would talk at the very end about painting the whole picture. Uh, but um, in a round, I am allowed to use the entire time. I'm allowed to say, hey, this guy is starting to get tired. And then that's when I can try to blitz. Even if that blitz starts from bottom side control, even if that blitz is the, uh, I don't even know what that's called, that the near side underhook where you come up to like a front headlock, you know, like it's whatever it can be. That blitz is just a really hard fight to get on your side, to get back to guard and then start attacking from there. What you do in those situations though, is you're able to think through as long as you're acknowledging that like, Hey, I am keeping this time loop going. Um, the, the way I always explain this concept or this, I, this strategy is when in the first Doctor Strange, where if you guys haven't seen it, great movie, should watch it. Um, 
But spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, uh, he fights Darmamu. And Darmamu is this creature that destroys uh, universes or something like our planets or universe, who knows. Um, but bad guy, unbeatable, nothing we can do about it. Doctor Strange has the time stone. He has one thing. He really he has no power to kill this guy. But what's he do? He has the time stone. He creates a time loop. And he says, guess what? Yes, you are stronger. Yes, you are bigger. Yes, you beat me everywhere. But I will keep you in this fight forever. And you can't beat this fight. You can't win this one fight. And so he kept um, how it works in the movie is uh, uh, Dr. Strange keeps getting killed. And then every time he gets killed by Darmamu, he comes back and it's the exact same time loop. And so Darmamu is stuck. And now he's faced with a decision. Do I keep fighting this way or do I leave? Do I try something else? And that's what he ends up doing. You know, he never died. That's interesting. He's probably going to come back some point in these series. Uh I would guess. But anyway, um, just with our, our kind of closing thoughts on our strategy, you know, we've talked about time loops. We talked about blitzing early when you think that there's a weakness. Uh, obviously, the, you could blitz late. You know, um, when you blitz is a strategy in itself. You could plan a whole match and then go in the last three minutes. I'm going to push it. And uh, um, uh, I guess before we leave these strategies alone, make sure that if you are interested in this idea of strategizing, that you're trying it in the gym with people that you normally go with. Maybe you know, and you know how these people are. Be curious. Say, this guy usually thrashes me. Maybe I'll try the time loop strategy today. I'm just looking for one thing, one place that I can uh, recreate the same situation again and again. And he doesn't seem to be able to beat Um Maybe you won't be able to find that, uh, but eventually you do more rounds with this person. You get good at strategizing with them over the course of 50 rounds. What that does is it opens up that idea, that little part in your brain, the skill of creating strategies. And I really think that this is a skill. I've told you guys this on the podcast before. He, he On an earlier episode, uh, uh, my friend Junior Silva, he is one of the best strategists that I know. Even when we go, he will have a strategy against me every single time that we grapple. And as soon as it stops working, then next week he's going to have something different. And it's not that he's usually coming with different techniques, usually it's the same jujitsu he's coming at me with every single week, but his pace changes. The position that he's willing to fight from changes. Uh, how much defense he's using changes. Or maybe he finds a technique that he goes, oh, this will expose a hole in Josh's game, and he uses it that way. Um, but he always trains that way. Always, no matter who we're going with, I will watch. Like uh, now, we we have this cool thing where people will want to actually come and visit our schools and and train at our schools. And uh, um, when these good guys come in and they train, Junior will watch, and he'll like. Then when it's time for him to go, even if he's in the middle of other rounds, he'll be peeking. And then when it's time for him to go, he'll know what successfully worked on that new visitor and he'll be trying a similar idea, right? Or he'll know what didn't work, where this visitor was strong and he will avoid that position. But that's to say that he looks at jujitsu as a whole. He looks at it 
as strategy matters because it does. If you watch how many guys played silly strategies at ADCC and lost because of it, because they paced wrong, because they thought that they could submit a guy really early and they couldn't submit that guy. Um, just whatever the reason, you look at these strategies and you say, oh, they can help somebody beat someone better than them. Do you really do you really think that Josh Hinger beats Tyra Tolo? You know, and this is no no disrespect to Josh Hinger, but he's in his 40s. That he beats Tyra Tolo if they don't train together. Meaning he had an idea of how he was going to beat Tyra Tolo. I don't know. I didn't talk to him before the match. I don't know if that's actually what happened. I don't know if that um if his strategy went out the window and he just survived some um some really tough blitzes and uh was able to come out of that but maybe that was the strategy maybe when he's grappled Ty in training he's gotten submitted two or three times in the lead up in the first few minutes of the round and then he says man he gets tired though at the end if i just survive those that first onslaught i might be able to catch his neck i might be able to get him Right. And so um, to me, that's a that's a big strategy, whether you should be having to fight your own teammates. I don't know. But um, when you think in terms of strategy, you learn to think in terms of strategy. Like my friend Junior, if we watch one match at a tournament. Like Junior's got a strategy, right? Kyle is my coach. Same exact way. He's just like these guys can see it's it's because they have strategized for years. You know, Kyle strategized as a coach in MMA and for himself when he fought in the UFC. Yo, so he understands this importance of having kind of he calls it a game plan, having a strategy. Um, some little notes besides that, right? Practice strategy. If you want to learn it, you have to try to think in terms of strategy. Keep it simple. I gave you some ideas on how I think of strategy. When I'm explaining stuff on the podcast, when I'm explaining techniques, concepts, skills, pace, strategy, these things, and I have explanations on like, this is what I think it means. Keep in mind, it's what I think it means. This is what helps me think of jujitsu is simpler. And so if some of the stuff I said makes it feel more complex for you, don't add that to your, your ideology. You want to keep it simple because strategy that is too complex is just you're not going to be able to follow. Keep in mind, we need to be able to think through this strategy while in the middle of a fight, while in the middle of a fight to the death. Do you get that? We are fighting. You better be thinking really, really simply in this fight or else you're getting beat down, right? Uh, I think, oh, yeah painting the whole picture. And so uh, I'll leave you guys with this, with you know, keeping your, your strategy simple, making sure you practice strategy um, and all these different things. Every time we go into a jiu-jitsu round, these things plus some others, um, they're all in play. The more we can start to understand them, the more that we can think of our, the, think of our cardio in terms of an energy bar, right? Instead of just, I'm dead tired or I'm going a hundred percent. If we can just tweak our strategy just a little bit and understand it a little bit more, those things can exponentially just like make your jujitsu better. 
But if we only limit ourselves, we don't we don't think of jujitsu as a whole, and we think of it only as the techniques that are being taught, and not these underlying secrets that purple belts, brown belts, black belts at our gym actually have, and they're actually willing to drop them on us all of the time. But usually we're just so focused on what technique we need to be learning that we don't even hear those things. We don't hear when somebody at our gym explained pacing the exact same way, or even a little better than I explained it. Uh, and you know, you ignore it because it wasn't a technique, right? It wasn't, well, yeah, but if it doesn't help me pass this guy's guard, it'll help you pass a million guards if you understand it. Honestly, if you were to say, all right, Josh, you can use five techniques, that's it. I would still be able to beat most of the people that I can beat because I would just use less offense. I mean, I would just play defensively until those one of those five techniques or the pace um, was mine, right? It's because jujitsu isn't about just techniques. Okay, I can only use five techniques, but I'm allowed to fight. I'm allowed to grip fighting, right? I'm allowed to use my specific skills, right? Um, I think that when we think of jujitsu that way, it will be really helpful. But again, I keep push pulling away from painting the whole picture. But when we think about around, there are all these different um there are all these different tools, right? There are all these different paint colors that we could look at. And we don't want to just take all of our jujitsu and make it about one thing and say, oh yeah, it's just, I'm just better at technique. Because for me, I for years I did that. And honestly, I really was better at technique than most of the guys I was grappling. But then I would lose to guys and I would get so frustrated because I would go, I was better than that guy. I know I was, I could feel it. If we were at the gym, I would have submitted and I would say stuff to myself like that. And then it started to click for me. We're not at the gym and he's fighting me differently than if we were. He's using less offense. Just by using less offense, I'm not able to counter with the offensive techniques that I have. And a lot of times I'm showing my hand really early. Hey, here are my best five moves. I'm going to go for them one after another. And now you've gotten a single rep defending all of them if I didn't beat you. That's not good. That's not good at all. But if my pace of those moves starts to matter, if I say, okay, I'm going to go for these five moves that I know. And um, a perfect example, when I fought Andrew Wiltsey and uh, he pulled spider, he, what my students would call spammed a certain attack and he spammed it on me. If you've ever met Andrew, this is an exaggeration, 50 times in like three minutes. And eventually, I took a risk. He had me in a time loop. I couldn't get out of it. I took a risk to get out of the time loop, and I got triangled, right? It wasn't just that he was a better technician. It was just one technique that he was doing or two techniques. He was just trying back and forth. It wasn't that he was so proficient at those techniques. Obviously, he is. It had to do with the fact that he paced them really, really well. And his skill of keeping me in spider guard was so good. He was so good at keeping me there. And uh, at the time, he found this position that I didn't know, didn't know how to defend. I didn't know how to beat and kept me in a time loop. And then all of a sudden, boom, I lose. It was because... He didn't just look at techniques because he knows how to paint the whole picture. And that is, um, 
I guess where I'll leave you. I know we covered a lot of stuff. There might be a little brain melt from you guys. There's a little in my brain too, but uh, yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. And that is the episode. Thank you guys for checking this one out. I really enjoyed putting together this episode. I always like to always like to talk jujitsu, talk strategy. I've actually been thinking about strategy a lot uh, because I have a few tournaments coming up. And more importantly, this Sunday, this comes out on a Thursday. um, This Sunday, I am going to be on an event called Strange Hands. I'm actually the main event and I'm actually the main event against uh, a podcast guest that I've had on before, Cody Kellison. And so um, Cody and I are both sponsored by the same uh, apparel company called Imposed Will, and they are putting together a just a, a very unique jujitsu event. Uh, something I, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen anything like this. They're putting together an event with a brewery called Four Hands Brewery and in St. Louis, and um, Strange Donuts, which is uh, a, a famous donut shop in St. Louis, and obviously, like their name uh, says, they are. They're strange donuts, and uh, uh, both places are are excellent. And I'm really excited to be able to be the main event for this this grappling tournament with donuts and at a brewery. Uh, it's kind of the dream, right? But uh, I thought I would mention to you guys, if anyone is wanting to watch that match, um, watch Cody and I fight to the death, then you guys can do that. It's going to be on YouTube uh, live. I will make sure to put a link in the description of this episode. And then also I'll make sure to send out a link to anyone who is on my email list. Remember, if you want to get on my email list, be sure to just jump on simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three the number three, and you will be able to sign up for the three lenses. And that is my newest ebook who also put you on my email list. And uh, yeah, that's all I have for you guys. Be sure to watch this one. I really, I really think that me and Cody are going to be able to put on a really good show. And uh, there's a bunch of other head nod guys like my students that are on the undercard. And it's not a six hour event where me and Cody are going to just be like grappling indefinitely at the very end of it, where you guys are all freaking tired of seeing jujitsu matches with people you don't know, like most grappling events that are just way too long. Uh, it's like 11 matches. They're six minutes each. You know, it's going to be an hour and a half, two hours at the max to watch. And so the whole event from top to bottom should be really good. If I were you, I would probably i don't know have a beer and a donut while watching so it feels like you're at the event um but uh yeah i would love if you guys watched that and uh and gave me some support in the comments said stuff like yeah we love josh we hate cody yeah we love the eye sucker jujitsu show listen to the eye sucker jujitsu show say stuff like that that would be cool of you guys i know i'm always trying to ask you guys to do stuff but hey it's a good podcast and it's free you know sometimes you guys got to do stuff so uh that's all i have for you guys today hopefully i get to show you guys some really cool jujitsu this sunday and uh if not i'll talk to you guys next thursday hope you guys enjoyed today's episode hope that it was helpful for you if it sparked anything that makes you go oh i want to hear more about that topic send me uh, an email, josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com. There was something I just touched on a little because I touched on so many different things. 
that you think, hey, I would love to know more about that, send me a message. And also, uh, I had a really cool suggestion. I know this this in outro is just dragging on, but I had a really cool suggestion uh, from a listener, and it was for me to do an online private lesson with him. And uh, uh, it was about the designate after the designated winner episode. He just wanted a little more info on how to implement it at the classes that he's teaching. And so um, I did a private lesson online. So if you guys were ever interested in that, uh, I'd be happy to do those things. Uh, I love talking jujitsu. It's pretty much what I do. And uh, you can always reach me at uh, at Josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com. So I hope you guys do that. Hope you guys watch the Strange Hands event. And most importantly, I hope today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Have a great day, guys.